0: This is the Spur Leadership Podcast. So you grow up on a farm, you learn that work ethic, you see that work ethic. Did your dad or mom, did they talk to you specifically about work ethic or is it just in the water that you drank and the air that you breathe? Well, a lot of it, you know, they did talk about it. You never quit. You start something,
1: you never quit. Mm-hmm. You know. Just quick sidebar. I, as a little kid, I, I wanted to play the guitar, so I took guitar lessons. And, and after a while, then I got into elementary school, and then, you know, I want to play drums. You know, it's just you don't think about all the practice and everything right. that
0: entails. You just want to play.
1: And I wanted to play, and you know, I did the went out for the play the snare drum in our little elementary school band, whatever. But I hated it. None of my friends were there. I was the only one there. My, I said I want to quit. Nope, you got to finish it out. You start it, you're going to finish it. Right. And it was probably one of the most miserable experiences I had, but I learned, you know, if you're going to commit to something, you got to go all the way. When you get a lot more careful about what you start. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a little more discernment and wisdom there. But no, that's where I, uh, you know, learned the work ethic and and learned the aspect of commitment and
0: all those tangible right intangibles tangible thoughts. So let me ask you this question how you're, you're growing up on a farm in Iowa at what point do you go I want to go to the Air Force Academy I want I want to get a senator to give me a recommendation and, and endorse me to go to the Air Force Academy.
1: My thing coming out I wanted to f- was education first and foremost I wanted a great a, a unique experience. I was wasn't necessarily highly recruited out of high school I was a better wrestler than I was football player actually um I was recruited like by the University of Iowa or Iowa State but I wanted to get out yeah and I wanted to play division 1 college football was the other criteria so you know visited the air force academy and and was able to
0: did you have somebody an appointment. in your community or somebody I'd had a, a a guy that
1: was in my older brother's class that ended up going through prep school and ended up getting into the academy, so okay. I knew a little bit right. about it. But um, kind of a unique story, and we probably don't have time to tell it now. But I was the last recruit that they brought in. My high school—this is the power of a coach. My high school football coach had asked me after my junior year, "Where do you want to do after high school?" And I said, "I want to—you know, i about the Air Force Academy. I want to play football." And I wasn't highly recruited, as I said. He drove 900 miles from my hometown in Iowa to the Air Force Academy, the old 16-millimeter film, and went to the coaches there and said, you need to take a look at this kid. Your high school coach? My high school coach believed in me and did that. Now, that's the power of a coach. And I was the last recruit that they brought in that year um, because I wanted to finish wrestling season. I was the last scholarship recruit that they brought in. And they liked me, and ended up getting the nomination and, and went there. But now my coach is uh, he's a defensive line coach at the University of Iowa. Reese Morgan is his name, and he's, uh, he's a rock star. Chad, in that's
0: book. incredible. I've never heard anything like that about a coach or a teacher going that far out of – that's literally going out of your way. Very much so. He but, obviously But that was Reese Morgan.
1: That was him, and he's coached. actually three Outland Trophy winners, including myself and two other guys at the University of Iowa, Dallas Clark, which was uh, a top tight end in the NFL. Uh, He's just a phenomenal teacher of men, but he believes in it. And that's one of those things I'd walk through walls, I'd
0: walk through fire, I'd walk to hell and back for that man for what he did for me. That's unbelievable. That's incredible. So you get the nomination and you're in Colorado Springs – Was there a point? Was there ever a point for you when? Because I know a lot of guys when they get into to one of the academies, they get there, and there's a wake. There's kind of a a wake up moment where you're like, "What in the world have I just gotten myself into?" Every day,
1: (laughs) every day was like that.
0: Going through the basic training, through Beast, and uh, you,
1: you look. I can remember. You know, like it was yesterday, after you finish basic training and you're into your freshman or your fourth class year, I can remember sitting in the dormitory looking out towards the east, the academy. There was this, you know, trees kind of in the black, black forest area, and there was this power line. It was an east-west running power line, and it was like a little venue through the forest g- east going from Colorado to Iowa. That was my home, and I thought, man, I just want to go there and just <laughs> walk that way. and Just, just keep you know, going. Just keep going. But, you know, it's just take one day at a time. And it got, you know, it'd get better and better and better. Right. But, um, but I think anybody, if they tell you that they, they loved every moment of it, they're good fishermen because those stories get l- larger <laughs> and larger and larger further from the
0: truth as yeah. time goes on. So while you were at the academy, was there a point? Because I think, I think every step along the way, I don't think you graduate high school going, man, I, I'm good enough to play in the NFL. You weren't that big coming out of high school, were you? No, I was, a, I was recruited as a tight end. Really?
1: 64 215 and I was slow. I ran about 64940 which was slow. As molasses as a tight end. I was 64215 215 when I went in my freshman year. And then I consistently I continued to grow when I graduated 66 six, I played my senior year around 25055. Okay. Okay. So I put on you know about 40 pounds sure. of muscle mass and grew two inches while I was there. And I was transferred after my freshman year spring ball to defensive line and started my sophomore year and just continued to work hard and and you know that was the one thing you know if I take away anything from the experiences you know at the academy and and post moving away from Iowa it was the work ethic the blue collar work ethic N- nobody's going to outwork me yeah. And that was the thing. I, I understood that to be, to achieve any type of success or quote unquote greatness, you got to work for it. No matter what, it, it just takes hard work. How do you teach your kids that? Well, by one demonstrating it, mm-hmm. but by two, again, it's, it's that watch me. Now you do it, giving them responsibility and accountability and allowing them to fail. And, uh, then the light bulb goes on and, and that's, parents out there that are listening the best thing you can do is give your kids responsibility at a young age allow them to fail but hold them accountable you know let them fail because that's pain is the, one of the best teachers
0: no that doubt there about it my daughter's still my daughter's getting ready to graduate college this may and she's still to this day she'll roll her eyes if i look at her i go honey i love you too much to lie to you that was not your best work and I'm not going to tell. You know what I'm saying? Something exactly. like that. She's, and she laughs at it now because she knows I'm right. You know, she's, there's enough of a track record, and we've got a great relationship. But she's heard that her whole life. You know, How many can you do when you're tired? And I love you too much to lie to you. And, and, and I think you, know, you come out of a really high, high performance-based environment. The Air Force Academy, the Air Force, flying fighter jets. It doesn't matter how good you want to be. It matters how good you are. Yeah, it's a meritocracy. It's all performance-driven. It doesn't lie. It's not subjective. It's objective. and certainly in the NFL, the same thing.
1: Yeah, you know, the, as they say, the eye in the sky does not lie. So it's all on video. Right. And you can't explain your way out of it. But um, yeah,
0: you know, it, it, that's it. it. Just is what it is. It is what it is. So was there a point at which in the at the Air Force Academy when you started to kind of go? I, I could think about playing in the NFL. I mean, that's, that's like a real possibility for me. You know, that never really happened until
1: probably I uh, finished the season.
0: Your senior year? Senior year.
1: You know, I realized you know I had a successful season. I ended up leading the nation in sacks, and then I, you know, I won the Outland Trophy. And I, well, I remember we were in Hawaii playing our last regular season game before the bowl game senior year, and I found out that I was on the Kodak All-American team. I made that. I was like, this. that's cool. You know, one of my best friends on the team the year prior, Terry Mackey, he had learned that too. And I thought, man, I, you know, I just want to be like Terry. I want to be able to, you know, say that I was an All-American. So I, I got that, and then more All-American stuff started coming in. Then, hey, you're a finalist for uh, the Outland Trophy. Hey, you get to go to the AP All-American. Go get, meet Bob Hope and Bob Hope on his Christmas special. Hey, I've arrived. You know, yeah, i got to meet yeah. Bob Hope. And then, you know, winning the Outland Trophy – I didn't even, you know, funny story is, you know, it was in downtown New York City at the Sheraton in downtown Manhattan, and um, my parents called and said, you know, I told them, yeah, I'm going to things out in presentation. I'm one of three finalists. I don't, you know, they asked, should we come? And I'm like, uh, nah, don't bother. I'm not going to get it anyway. Don't worry about it. So I'm in the hotel that night, and I knock at my door, and I open up the door, my mom and dad are there. I'm thinking, uh. Oh, they know something that I don't because they had called the academy. My mom didn't trust me or whatever. She called the academy, the sports <laughs> it's information like she director. Knew you, Chad. Well, she does, Toby. <laughs> and they said we can't tell you if you want or not, but we suggest that you be there. That's great. So that's when you know I want it, and then I thought, uh oh, then there is a potential that you know I could play at the next level. I mean, at least these people, these people think that I can right. too. But it was the aspect of I had the military obligation. I Which knew I wanted to serve five years at a minimum, but I chose to up it to eight years because I wanted to fly jets. And I thought, you know, nice. You know, good, and end up being drafted by the Cowboys. Then so they retain my rights, but it's what round was, did I mean, they
0: draft you in? The eleventh round, because because of There's your no enrollment obligation. Yeah. Did they know at Did you know at that point you were going to be making an eight-year commitment?
1: Yeah. Okay. Totally. Okay.
0: And, because it was one of those things I knew in my head.
1: Serve the commitment. This is my vision. This is who I choose to be as an individual. Character, you know, of that is honoring your word. But in my heart, man, I wanted to play. Sure. I wanted to compete. I wanted to see if I had, you know, quote unquote, the right stuff. But that's, you know, those crossroads in life where you've, you know, you got to do the right thing. And, you know, it worked out. I'd have been perfectly happy as a fighter pilot flying missions, you know, having a career in the Air Force. But after the first Gulf War in our, you know we went through the reduction in force where they waived not only my the th- additional 3 years of my pilot training commission they waived 2 years off our service academy commitment wow. something that has never been done in the history of the Air Force Academy prior or since and i basically raised my hand i was living in england at the time we were flying out of raf bentwaters woodbridge uh contacted my agent saying you know jack they they just waived. i'm eligible to get out now he called the Cowboys, called me later that, that next afternoon. He said, okay, next tomorrow morning you need to be on a flight out of Heathrow back to Dallas. They want to work you out. Tom Landry, you know, Tech Schramm, um, merchants that had already sold the team to Jerry Jones, and Jimmy Johnson was the Cowboys. What this would have been that? 1990. What, so 90, this you're was in, No, this was
0: 92. 92, you're in England, you fly back to Dallas. So I'm you going know, fly back
1: to Dallas, do a workout. Okay. Did well enough to impress I, I maintain shape because when you're deployed, there's nothing that you can do aside from, you know, work out, fly missions, and eat a lot of pizza. So I bulked up. I put on <laughs> about 20 pounds. But I went back, had a great workout. Jimmy Johnson said, "Chad, like what we see. When can you join us?" I, you know, salute, smart. I don't know, sir. I'll... What time of year was that? This would have been in April. Okay. Okay. April of the year. I flew my last mission in Iraq in March of that year. Was on a TDY to Germany. Uh, did a couple more, but in April that year, I went back, submitted my paperwork to get out. Three weeks later, I was out-processed out of the Air Force, moved back to Dallas, going into training camp there the end of June, first part of July. That's, That's cr- how crazy. That's how fast, it fast happened. that is. You know, and I laugh, and I just, you know, one of the few guys, or probably the only guys in the modern era, I actually flew, quote-unquote, a combat mission in Iraq in March of that year and played in a Super Bowl within the same 365 days. So that that 92, that we went Super Bowl 27. Unbelievable. So that was kind of cool. I, got yeah, that I guess so.
0: That 25 cents won't even get me a cup of coffee. But <laughs> no, but it's 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 an incredible story. So you get to Dallas in 92, right? And the Cowboys are they're on their way up. Yeah, they just won a, a playoff game a year prior. Right. They're they're the favorites.
1: You know, we open up that season, that beginning of that season with the Washington Redskins. Mm-hmm. And that was what was the brilliance of Coach Johnson was he had the guys focus, you know, the all off season and in training camp on beating the Redskins. They won the Super Bowl twenty
0: six just that year before 91. Chad, you know what's crazy? I was at that game with the Redskins. Julie and I got married in August of 91. And the first anniversary, apparently, I didn't know this, but apparently the first anniversary gift is paper. She gave me tickets to the Cowboys-Redskins games. We came to that game. Hank Williams Jr. sang the National yeah. Anthem. Came out in an old Cadillac convertible with two cheerleaders on either side of him. Got out and, sang, and it was Monday night. Yeah. So he was doing, you know, are you ready for some football back I remember that game so well. That was a cool thing about
1: playing for the Cowboys. Goes the Those are guys who sang the national anthem. You know, oh, Earl yeah. Haggard, George <laughs> Jones, you know, all these old I love old that possum. that's cool to you.
0: That's awesome. Oh. You, these are my people. So well, go you know, ahead.
1: We were, we, well, you'd sit there and you'd go through warm ups. You'd look over on the sidelines and it's like, there's Kevin Costner. Right. You know, there's Hollywood A Listers, yep. particularly when you were on the Super Bowl. I'm like,
0: which we cool. had. Se- we had cell phones back then. I'd be taking <laughs> selfies with them. But, uh, no, but it, it was a really cool experience Talk a little bit about Jimmy Johnson from a leadership perspective Because I was fascinated to watch the Cowboys during that era We lived there during that era We were there. I was there from 1990 to 97 And the turnaround that they went through And as fast as it was There was something about the way Jimmy operated Identified talent, inspired, X's and O'd Talk about that Jimmy was a phenomenal um, evaluator of talent yeah.
1: as well as development. Uh, he, was a, he, was a G, well, he was a psychology major you know, in college, so he knew the manipulation piece. And it, in my opinion, he was very Orwellian, kind of like Animal Farm. All animals are created equal. Some are more equal than others. Right. And that was the same way with players. Everybody was afraid of Jimmy. Really? Jimmy was a micromanager, had his finger on everything. He was a man on a mission, and he would not be denied. But it was that type of leadership style, I think, that you can get achieved success very rapidly. Yep. But to sustain that level of competence, you know, you know, people often ask if he and Jerry wouldn't have got button heads, you know, it goes back to that adage, too many chiefs in the T P not enough right. warriors. You know, with egos. Sure. Who, you know, I think we probably would have gone four in a row. But um but such was not the case. But it, you go from his leadership style of kind of that rule by fear, micromanage, to, to Barry Switzer, who you know, I love Barry, You know, like both men, but total opposite ends of the spectrum, where Barry was more, hey, I don't care what you do during the week, I don't care whatever, just show up for practice on time and show up for the plane on time and be ready to go for the games. And you go from that discipline, right, high discipline with with uh, Jimmy Johnson of fear, micromanage, to and laissez high accountability, fair, high accountability to laissez faire anything goes. That's what people went crazy. And that's when the wheels
0: fell off the bus for the yeah. Cowboys yeah. that just imploded. But you know, Jimmy prior to the Cowboys, I don't think he ever coached he was he was obviously a college coach at Miami. Four years, every place. Never, Oklahoma never State, lasted more than five years anywhere.
1: Oklahoma State, Miami, our University of Miami Cowboys, and then Miami
0: Dolphins. It was five years, bang, yeah. bang, bang. Isn't that interesting? Do you think that, that that level of intensity is sustainable? Let's say that let's say that y'all let's say that Jimmy had stayed there and you'd won four in a row. And obviously, Jimmy and Jerry couldn't coexist in the TP together. Would the players have continued to respond to Jimmy over time? I think so. You I think? think just because of that respect
1: and and the the culture on the team at the time was that. Um, you know, when when a lot of the the extra. extra curricular activities were going on with players, I, I think because of the fear factor they may have been lessened. And I'm referring to a lot of the guys doing some things that they shouldn't have been doing off the field with drugs and all that kind yeah, of stuff, yeah. And different Arrest. lawsuits flying around. But um but you know, shoulda woulda coulda, who, who knows? Shoulda. But I think that at that point in time I think the culture would have been maintained and jimmy you know ultimately it's it's the players in the locker room that have to buy into that and everybody bought into that yeah. you know your senior leadership
0: who were those leaders that that kept those standards up apart from the coaches well you look at those that team back then and i played with five
1: if not you know six hall of fame right. players i mean that's on one team yeah you know, guys like, uh, you know, Michael Irvin, Emmett Smith, Troy Aikman, you know, Charles Haley, Larry Allen, you know, on on the offensive line, Deion Sanders, phenomenal athletes. But the guys, you know, th- where the team was made was not necessarily on a Sunday morning in the locker room giving a right. rah-rah speech. It was made in March, April, and May, and June in the offseason for the workouts. Yeah. You know, and that's where the the camaraderie and the – trust yeah was originated and was strengthened because you know the time and effort that guys put into it the work and you trusted them yeah. because you, you you busted your butt with them so but when again, they, when they the got a the culture under that jimmy
0: created
1: was that yeah. yeah and demanded and demanded and held everybody and everybody bought into that so those leaders then you know it was it's not the words. I mean, there's a couple guys that would be the big vocal rah-rah guys, but everybody is, you know, in one ear, not the other. It was the guys that demonstrated on the field that, that you followed and you wanted to aspire to be like. When
0: you play at that level, Chad, do guys, in order to be a leader on that team as a part of that group, do you have to be one of the guys who is producing at a high level relative to the other guys? Or are there guys who maybe don't start or are not Hall of Famers that have that kind of influence? Well, you know, great question. And um,
1: the guys that earn the respect may not be the, the starters, but they, they have done it well and with excellence on the field. So When I say that, you may have had a, a veteran that was a starter at one point in time that had a successful career, but he may come in and be a backup, right. but yet he's respected based on what he did and how he conducts himself. Right. So, he, so he's still got do, a resume you still, of some sort. You still need to have that performance and yeah. still need to have that aspect of success to have credibility. Right.
0: So you win three Super Bowls, Jimmy Johnson, Barry Switzer, I'm curious about because the the contrast was so stark between Jimmy and Barry. Even even somebody like me who just watched on Sunday afternoons could tell how different it was. What did Barry do well as a coach?
1: Barry made you feel um like a part of the team. Really? He that he was he's a phenomenal salesman. Yeah. And he knows everybody's name. He knew my wife. He knew my kids. Really, he just very personable. I mean, to this day, Coach I love Coach Switzer. He's just he's your he's your best friend. I mean, he's a good old boy. Yeah, sure. Um, so what he did well was he you know he made you feel connected. Yep. And that's what made him a heck of a recruiter at University of Oklahoma because he'd walk into those you know players' home and he'd talk with the parents. And he made mama, you know, I'm gonna take care of your boy. You know, yeah. gonna, this is, and he felt, felt like their child was in good hands, or they were, they weren't, but, but he just had that knack, a very personable guy.
0: So <clears throat> in your current role in business, in the community, talk a little bit about how you, or do you consciously, or is it just kind of now a part of who you are, how do you draw on those experiences and those leaders like the coach who drove 900 miles to drop off a tape at the Air Force Academy, Jimmy Johnson, Barry Switzer, others that you draw from and you use those lessons leading an organization now, you know, leading in your your home with your wife. Talk about how those things impact how you operate day in and day out. Now, somewhat well removed from your playing days. You know, it's
1: on several fronts.
0: Before, as a young
1: person, I was driving my whole life was based on success versus significance. And a lot of the wisdom garnered from watching other people, I realized that it's not about me. You know, a person's legacy is is not about accomplishments or fame or material possessions acquired. You know, a person's legacy, and I realize this, it's about the lives of the people that I've been able to impact for the good, for the positive. Yeah. You know I read a quote by a gentleman uh, author Dallas Willard. He was a former uh, I believe UCLA professor of philosophy and theology in his book called The Divine Conspiracy. He had a a quote that says you can't change character or behavior and leave your belief intact. And for me, you know when I when I do speak at a corporate forum or you know I get in front of individuals and I inspire them to you know, decide, put a stake in the ground, this is my identity, this is who I choose to be, this is what I aspire to do. When I challenge people on that identity, it ultimately derives them to an aspect of a higher calling, of, of greatness, of, you know, who am I in this world? Is there a God? And, th- and that's what, for me, it's, it's about that aspect as, as a Christian, to impact the lives of others, to lead them down that path, and not just with words, but by my actions. So how I interact with, with you on a daily basis. Am, am I selfish? Is it all about me? Or is I, do I try to help you become a better man, better husband, better father, better friend? And to me, that's what legacy is about. And that's what you know, my mission is. I've achieved a lot of success, you know, but, but so what? So what? You know, a, a story I could share is when I would speak to, to different groups of kids, and I go back to 1992 when I you know speak to a first group of elementary school students and I talk about Roger Staubach. You know they look at me with this blank stare. <laughs> who is he? You know then towards the later you know last few years you talk about hey, I played with Emmett Smith. You know they go okay who who's that? Is that Ezekiel Elliott? You know oh he well, was on he, Dancing with the Stars. He was on Dancing <laughs> with the Stars exactly. You know so it's success is is relative and there's a fine time period but as I said what the impact of your life like me talking about my coach that's lives with me forever and that'll live beyond right. me because what he did for me allowed me to do all these other things in life to accomplish and and those seeds are planted now that I'm planting those seeds in my kids and, and in any individual that I come across that I mentor that, those that I disciple that's what we're called to do and, and for me that's that's my personal mission
0: I can't think of a better way to end it. Chad, thank you so much for being here and being a part of the very first Spur Leadership Podcast. Awesome. Thanks, Mac.